Welcome to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Tina Muir. Hello, this is Tina Muir, and I would like to welcome you to another episode of the Run to the Top podcast, brought to you by Runners Connect. Thank you for being here today. I am honored that you have chosen to spend your time with myself and my guests today. As runners, we love to see how running intersects with our other passions and areas of interest. But have you ever considered how your training could be making you a mentally stronger person who is better prepared for the challenges in life that we do not expect? We choose to put ourselves through the discomfort of training, but often our biggest obstacles are those aspects of our lives that we are not training for. I had never really thought of it that way, and I'm guessing many of you have not either. But if you think about it for a moment... When you complete a workout that you're struggling in or you overcome an injury and get into great shape, don't you feel like you could take on anything? We often don't think about how it impacts the rest of our lives, but it does. We joke that we are a different breed, but maybe there is something different about us, and not in a bad way. If we can just spin our perspective a little, we could become unstoppable in every area of our lives. So, my guest today is Travis Macy. Travis is the author of the upcoming book, The Ultra Mindset, an endurance champion's eight core principles for success in business, sports, and life. He is a motivational speaker, coach, and professional endurance athlete. He holds the record for the lead man, which is an epic endurance event, event consisting of trail running marathon, a 50-mile mountain bike race, Leadville 100 mountain bike race, a 10k road run and a, the Leadville 100 run, all above 10,200 feet in the Rocky Mountains. Pretty impressive, huh? It was. Comp- he's also competed in over 100 ultra, adventure and trail events. Now on to today. Today Travis and I are going to discuss why, is it, why it is important to find your own running path, You do not need to follow the traditional step up in distance path that most people follow. If you follow your heart, you will find your way. This was really interesting. What fixed and growth mindsets are and how you can change your outlook to grow in every area of your life. What you learn and practice through your training and how you can apply those lessons to your life in general. How to identify role models and how to learn from them to become a better runner why you need to ask for help to get better sometimes, and why you should not be afraid of reaching out to people you look up to, even if they are competitors. You never know what they're going to say. How to use internal and external motivators during the ups and downs that training and racing can bring, and how self-control can be compared to a muscle that needs to be trained, and what you need to do when that muscle tires. All of the sources and books Travis and I talk about today will be in the show notes at runnersconnect.net forward slash rc51. This is a great episode and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. So let's meet Travis. Welcome to the Run to the Top podcast, Travis. We're excited to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. It's uh, great to connect with the Runners Connect community and I'm pleased to be here. Yeah, we're very excited to get to it. And actually, I have so many questions that I want to ask you. I'm just going to dive right in. I I talked about you in the intro, so I'm just going to get straight to the questions. Sounds good. (laughs) Okay, so let's start with your running history. Um, You talked early um, in your 
actually in your book which I should mention now the ultra mindset which we're actually going to talk about a little bit later but I just want to start from your background first so you talked about seeing your father struggle through his first Leadville 100 race do you think that kind of ingrained in your mind that once you commit to a race you finish it like no matter what and you said you're you're known for your finishing do you think that was an important part of your growing up yeah, I I would say so, and that's uh, you know kind of the beginning of the book. I, I go into that um, at, at quite a bit of length, and um, you know it was really I was five years old, and I was out there uh, in in Leadville. This is the late '80s and the early days of ultra running in the Leadville 100, and um, my dad, you know, hadn't really had the the preparation that uh, you know nowadays we would think of as appropriate for running a hundred mile race. You know he had done some marathons and he had done the Ironman, but he had you know really trained specifically for for a hundred. And he, he signed up for it and and basically said I'm gonna you know finish this no matter what. And um, he did after a, a quite a bit of hardship. You know that that first time at Leadville he actually finished dead last. He was the the last person to finish before the thirty hour cutoff. Um, and, and that experience made a huge impact on me, you know, as, as a little kid. I mean, I think for many little kids, you know, they look to their parents as, you know, I, I, I want to be like this person. And, you know, the fact that my dad finished last didn't mean anything to me. It was simply that he finished the race and that he, that he suffered, but he still made it through. So that, that really impacted me. And then, you know, over the years, he, um, kept, he kept learning and learning about ultra running. He got into adventure racing and I was able to, um, watch that stuff as I was growing up, you know, not only my dad, but also guys like Marshall Ulrich, um, who's a well-known ultra runner. He became a good friend of our family and got to follow the stuff that he was doing and follow, you know, other mountain athletes here in Colorado, like Mike Closer, who's a guy who he won the mountain biking world championship, you know, when I was a little kid and went on to be this great adventure racer. And following these these people really definitely made an impact on me even when you know as as a as a child I wasn't I, I didn't really run you know other than I played soccer I played basketball you know I played baseball I I I ran around in the woods with my friends and we love mountain biking but I I didn't really you know start running competitively or anything um really till high school yeah no it's interesting to think about that when you do talk about being surrounded by those influences how much of a difference that does make to you and even though at the time you didn't realize it was doing something it probably did have a lot of input into how you ended up where you are today so you talked about uh yeah not really running seriously until later but you took quite a different running path to traditionally most runners who you know spend their four to five years at college and then uh, and then move on. But you did your two years uh, running for the track and cross country team at Colorado University. But then you kind of took off in a different direction and um, moved into onto the trail and onto the ultra and adventure racing. So, what do you want to tell us a little bit about um, how you did take your path through a different? Uh, outlook to usual? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And it's my, my path has sort of been a little bit opposite in some <laughs> ways, because now, you know, as as an adult who, um, you know, has kids and, and a job and other things going on, I've, I've now sort of returned to running for the time being really as, as my only sport. But the path I took to get here, um, you're right, was a little bit cir- circuitous. You know, I um, coming out of high school, I was, I was a decent high school runner, but I, I wasn't, you know, incredible. I didn't have coaches knocking on my door or anything. Um, I, I decided to uh, attend the University of Colorado because it was a good fit for me academically. I, I grew up in Colorado. I, I love the mountains. You know, I, 
I really didn't want to leave. I, I still don't really see any reason to leave and, and I haven't. Um, and, and that's why, you know, that's why I chose CU. And, um, as, uh, as I was coming into the university of Colorado, I read running with the Buffaloes, you know, the well-known book by Chris Lear. And he talks about a lot of these, uh, guys who started out as, um, walk-ons and eventually became all Americans. And, and I thought, wow, that's, you know, that's cool. Maybe, maybe I can do that. You know, I knew I had the capacity to, to work very hard and to be dedicated and, and committed. Um, you know, I didn't know exactly what my, you know, so-called talent was because I, I hadn't really run relatively that much in high school. Um, you know, I got to that, uh, you know, those, I, I started running with the team kind of over the summer, you know, on the, on the, um, you know, the unofficial, uh, team runs, um, there in Boulder. And, uh, and that was a great experience. You know, I, I met up, met Jorge and, and Ed Torres and, you know, Steve Slattery, who I think, you know, and, um, Dathan Ritzenhine, you know, these guys who are super, super talented, you know, young runners who went on to, to do great things. And, and, um, you know, hearing what those guys had done in high school, I, I sort of realized like, wow, you know, I, I, I didn't even know that stuff like, you know, the Nike, you know, footlocker things even existed. You know, I, the, the state meet happened and, you know, then for me it was basketball season and that was, that was the end of it or basketball and snowshoe season. I, I did a lot of snowshoeing in the winter when I was growing up too. But, um, anyway, so I decided to try to walk on the team and I worked really hard that summer and, and, you know, the tryout rolled around and there was room for, I think like three walk-ons and, and I made one of the spots and, you know, that was a, that was a great moment for me. And, and over the next couple of years, um, you know, running on the team was, was a good experience in many ways. Um, I think, you know, looking back, um, I don't think I was very smart about my training. Um, basically I was trying to, I think, trying to prove myself every day in practice. Um, you know, kind of looking back, uh, I, I probably had more of a, a so-called fixed mindset than a growth mindset. And a fixed mindset is basically, you know, the idea that, that your talent or ability or, you know, intelligence, whatever is, is fixed. And when you think that it's fixed, then you have to prove it. So, you know, my idea was every single day in practice, I'm going to prove myself to, to, to my teammates, to myself, to, to coach Wetmore. And, you know, as it turned out, I was basically racing, you know, (laughs) six days a week in practice. And I got to the races and, you know, was completely tired out from all the training. And, um, you know, I, anyway, I wasn't very smart about it. In, In hindsight, I should have approached it more with a growth mindset, which is, the opposite idea that, um, you know, again, whether it's your intelligence, your running ability, you know, how, fa- how fast you can do a 10K or 100 mile, but that those are quantities that you can improve by training, practice, hard work, those kind of things. Um, and, uh, you know, that was, I was 18 years old, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, I probably oh, yeah. didn't have the maturity to realize that, as as with with many young people. So, Anyway, I ran, I ran on the team for, you know, two years and then kind of after my sophomore year, I, I, I realized, well, you know, there were some things I was enjoying about running, but I, I, I'd grown up watching triathlon, you know, I'd watched my dad, um, you know, he did the Ironman watching other guys like Mark Allen and, and Scott Tinley, kind of these legendary Ironman guys. And um, so I, I decided, well, maybe I'll give triathlon a shot. So my junior year at CU, I joined uh, the triathlon team, which was a, a club team, um, and that was a lot of fun, you know, it was still pretty competitive with, with, uh, many, many of the people and, and competitive kind of at the national championship sort of level. So, um, I did that for a year and, and it went pretty well and I had a, a good finish at nationals. Um, and then my, my senior year, I, I really, um, transitioned to adventure racing. You know, like I said, uh, kind of when I was in 
really when I when I was in middle school, my dad started doing adventure races, starting with uh, this race called the Eco Challenge, which um, you know for for a number of years became a, a really popular and exciting TV event, um, you know here in the U.S. at least. And uh, so I had kind of you know been thinking for a long time that I wanted to do adventure racing. You know, I just I love the travel aspect. I you know I always liked running, but I also wanted to bike and I wanted to paddle and I wanted to you know, do the, the ropes and, and I wanted to travel around the world, you know, that was a, that was a big piece of it. So, um, you know, I kind of made that shift really, you know, I was 21 years old and I started doing basically these week long adventure races, you know, in, in Mexico and Sweden. And, um, then we went down to Brazil and Patagonia and, um, kind of took it from there. And, um, you know, that, that's kind of where the backwards piece of it is for, for many runners. It's a progression of, mm-hmm. you know, okay, you, you, in college, you do the 5k, then you do the 10k for a while, then you do the half marathon, then you do the marathon. And I kind of, you know, I sort of went from like, you know, doing middle distance and, you know, some 5ks on the track with CU and pretty soon I'm just doing these week long adventure races, you know, um, in different places around the world. And, and I think, you know, doing that, um, if we go back to the background, you know, sort of growing up seeing people doing these long hard things that played a huge role because the really the only thing especially those early races the only thing that got me through was a commitment to finishing and and a belief i could do it you know kind of like my dad when he started you know i probably didn't have the physical preparation i didn't have the experience i you know i was i was looking back i was pretty young most of the people on my team were you know in their 40s um but i believed i could do it and and i had the the ego almost or the the belief in myself that I could finish and and so I did oh no that's great and I I think it's it's very important that you you did bring that up and say about how you know you don't have to follow that traditional route of um you know you start at like you said 5k 10k you don't have to go you know specifically that way you can if you want but it's more about following your heart and following what you want to want to do want to enjoy rather than just feeling you need to do it in that particular order. So I think that's a great point that you brought up there. And do you have any specific advice to um, runners who are, you know, maybe maybe younger than the traditional, you know, most people think of ultra ultra and adventure races as, um, you know, 30s and 40s, but mm-hmm. someone around, you know, when you started around 21, what advice would you give them to if they were looking to move towards the if they were tempted by the trails yeah. and the ultra um, adventure scene well that that's a great point and um you know like you said i think that with any of these athletic endeavors whether it's running or biking adventure racing triathlon swimming f- fun and enjoyment is a huge piece of it and, and that's you know i think if, if you want to stay competitive if you want to have results you, you have to be enjoying it because you know, the, there's, you know, you can't get out and, and go through the training day in and day out if there isn't something fulfilling about that, you know, and, and every moment obviously isn't fun. Um, but the overall fulfillment has to be there. And, you know, I think many psychologists would say that doing new things um, plays a big role in, in providing some, um, some motivation. And so that's, you know, for me, I, I you know, these days I rarely even do the same race twice because I, I just I figure there's so many good races to do around the world. You know, you keep doing them. Um, so anyway, on to the advice. I, I my advice would be if you're thinking about doing something, I would say just just do it. You know, a lot of people kind of beat around the bush and they oh do you know have I done enough hills? Have I am I ready for the technical stuff? Do I have the right gear? You know, have I done enough altitude training? You know, whatever your questions are. I would say just do it. You know, I think the first thing is, is maybe finding an event 
that sounds interesting to you, something that, you know, sounds challenging or it's a new place or maybe it's an event that you can go to with, with a friend or a family member or a spouse or, you know, whatever, um, find something that sounds exciting, sign up for it. And, and then given whatever time you have until then, try to prepare for it, you know, realize you may not be totally prepared and that's fine. You know, the, the point is to go out there and, and, and just commit to it and, and do it. Um, and I think that's a great way to, ter- to determine yeah, what definitely. you like and what you don't like. You know, maybe you'll go do it and maybe you won't like it, but mm-hmm. maybe you will. You know, maybe you'll love it and you realize, okay, you know, next time I can, you know, sign up for this other race or something like that. And, and again, if you go back to that sort of growth mindset of, you know, my goal is to constantly improve, that really leads to a lot more results. And, then, and I would also say kind of in the ultra trail running scene, I mean, there's more and more young guys and women, you know, either straight out of college or coming off some, you know, real fast road marathons. And man, they're coming out in these, in these ultra races and just, you know, smoking it, you know, I mean, I mean, they really have the leg speed and, you know, I've, for me, even these days, you know, I really focus on the really the hillier, you know, sort of quote, more challenging ultra races because, you know, I think that's what I'm ready for. You know, the, you know, a lot of people like me just don't have the leg speed to, match some of these younger runners in the in the in the faster courses oh yeah no i think that i think it's good to mention that that you know it, things are changing and it's not necessarily uh the way it was and in the way that people are trying new things and going for new adventures and i think it's great that you brought that up so um we did talk about your book the ultra mindset which is actually out on april 14th but mm-hmm. um you you've mentioned to me before which we will um if uh listeners want to go to runnersconnect.net forward slash rc51 you can get the link which will take you directly to um amazon to purchase the book and am i right in saying if you purchase the book now you can actually get it two weeks early and get it on march 24th i think so i I think that's the way it works my understanding is i think it's in stores or i know it's in stores april 14th i think if you buy it online uh, with Amazon that you'll get it um, a little bit before then. They're okay. kind of two All right. states. All right, I will put a link to that. So do you want to give us a short thanks. summary about um, what the book is? Yeah, uh, thanks. You know, it's kind of, um, it's a couple of things. It's, it's, it's sort of an interesting idea. It's in many ways a combination of adventure narratives, so stories uh, typically from my own experience of ultra running, endurance mountain biking, adventure racing around the world, um, so it's that genre really combined with self-help, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, born to run meets seven habits of highly effective people or, you know, something like that all thrown in one book. Um, and basically it's, uh, you know, it's eight chapters and each chapter is kind of a standalone, um, entity and it, it follows sort of a rhythm where, each one begins with a story, uh, you know, like I said, from running, adventure racing, etc. Um, the story leads into a very specific mindset principle uh, that, that readers hopefully can apply to their lives. Um, it, it could be in, you know, running or something like that, but hopefully in other areas too. You know, maybe it's parenting, maybe it's work, maybe it's relationships, you know, whatever other things that you do. Um, so we go into the principle itself and then kind of the, the chapter finishes with some specific application tools so it's an actual um thought activities worksheets um things like that for for people who really want to engage with the material and grapple with how can i apply this um to my own life um 
Yeah, I, I actually, I, I found that really interesting. I love the way that you did that. You kind of introduced it with a story, like you said, and then you kind of um, really brought in the principle and how you can apply it. And then you actually left even physical space within the book that you could fill out. And I actually did do each of the activities and I, I really, it was interesting to think and really, really get myself to really apply it and c c take a serious thinking time about what I wanted to say, what I wanted to do. And I love that you had three, in a lot of the situations you had like three different ways. So you didn't just apply it to your running, you could apply it to other areas of your life. So I thought that was really, really interesting the way you did that, so I like that. And uh, one thing that stood out to me that was kind of interesting to me was you, um, early in the book you talked about uh, seeing competitors in front of you with a slowing, with a slowing pace and physically thinking, okay, or sorry, mentally thinking, okay, I can see their physical breakdown starting to happen. And you, it gave you that hope to catch them. And you talked earlier about your belief in yourself and, um, you know, staying positive and how important it is that we, you know, keep thinking, believing what we can do. And it kind of reminded me of when I was younger, my dad used to say to me, um, that I needed to keep control of my running form because when it broke down, all the people behind me would know what know that I was not even so much physically breaking down, but I'd lost that self-confidence. And I remember he always used to bring that up to me and say, you can't give it away. And it reminded me of what you said right there, especially in that moment where you talked about catching someone and seeing their pace slow. So um, do you think we give a lot away within our body language when we um, start to mentally, you know, not believe in ourselves and lose that confidence? Yeah, I think so. You know, there, there. Um, I appreciate that question because I think it's a, a great question, and, and um, it's it, very interesting to hear that about your dad. And it, you know, I've heard that from other coaches and even thought it myself at times. Um, there's a really good TED talk um, by a, a woman named Amy Cuddy. Um, her last name is C U D D Y, and the the name of the TED talk is "Your Body Language Shapes Who You Are." And um, it's it's a fascinating talk, and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, she's a, uh, you know, basically a, a, a researcher at a, at a university. I can't remember which one. Um, but she talks at length about how, um, different body language, uh, movements, you know, whether it's, let's say, um, kind of crunching down in a ball is like a very defensive mm -hmm. or, um, vulnerable type of, uh, body language. And at the other extreme, we have, imagine Usain Bolt winning a race. And what is he doing? He's putting his arms up. Or, or even before the race, he's doing it. You know, or he's doing his lightning bolt or things like that. You know, those are kind of the extremes. But I think if you apply that to running form, um, it, it, yes, I think that's definitely um, possible that, uh, you know, when, when, if you're breaking down mentally, it, it can affect what you're doing physically. And I think she would argue, um, you know, in this TED talk, vice versa, that by having more of a, a positive and upbeat form, it actually can impact um, the way that you're thinking. You know, her study obviously was, it was with like uh, MBA students and, and they had them adopt different poses and then see how that impacts um, basically how they were performing in the, in the program. And it really made a difference. Um, and I think that can be true of, you know, if you, if you think about it yourself in your daily life, if you're disappointed versus, you know, upbeat or happy, you'll be moving in different ways. And I think we can um, definitely apply that in running. And, and you know, it's, I, I think, um, you know, let's say you take a, a short, fast uh, 
track race, you know, that may be a little bit different from an ultra run, for example. Mm-hmm. You, sometimes in ultras, you know, people just break down and, you know, you're, I've, I've been there many times before where you're just kind of shuffling along or hunched over or, you know, something's really hurting bad and, you know, your form really is um, shot. But I, I think that's a great point of trying to tweak that and get it back to normal a little bit um, really can make a difference. And, and, and from a competitive standpoint, you know, even even if you're feeling like that, it's somehow keeping your competitors from seeing it um, could be very helpful. Yeah, definitely, definitely, I agree. And um, you t- you also related to that. You talked about um, really paying attention to how you feel mm-hmm. and uh, how important it is for runners. Um, you, yeah, this is what you said, when, and I quote: um, "When you feel bad, hold on. When you feel good, it's time to push." Do you want to explain that just a little bit more about um, you know? Sometimes we all go through bad patches, but you got to, like you said, you've got to just hold on in those bad moments. But when you do feel good, that's when you got to try and make your move. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, um, you know, for me, the most important piece here is really how that relates to life. You know, I think most people listening to this podcast as runners will know that many of the things that they learn and practice through running on a daily basis and, you know, doing the preparation, having an event, all of those kind of things. There's many things that we can learn from that and apply to life. And that's, that's kind of what this, this book, um, is about. So, um, absolutely. I think that's, um, an, an important, um, connection and, and especially in the longer that your races get, um, inevitably there will be low points. You know, you're, you're not going to go out and run a hundred miles and feel great the whole time. Um, you know, the, the guy who, the guy who finishes last will have many low points. The guy who finishes first place will have many low points. And and a lot of it is how do you deal with that? And I think that's very true with, with life in general. You know, I think that my, you know, my view is, is that you approach things with, with a positive mindset and expect the best and do a lot of planning, um, you know, for, for the things that can go wrong, but also things will go wrong. Um, and, and I think that's dealing with those is, um, is is really um, a key thing to to prepare for. Yeah, definitely, and uh, that that w- works well into uh, the next thing I was going to ask you about, which was uh, you talked about good good mental training and how challenges are a part of life. And actually, I have to say, I've actually been using that myself in the last uh, few weeks as I've been That's reading good. the book, thinking, you know, when when I was uh, I did a twenty two miler last week, and I was just feeling tired not nothing was hurting but I just was like and I I thought to myself you know this is good mental training and um you talked about viewing um challenges as positive even essential instruments of mental training and how that can build a mountain of inner resilience which I absolutely loved I love that I love that quote right there and um can you talk about how you could apply that not only you know within your running but how you can apply that to other areas of your life yeah, I mean, I think the that idea of of that inner inner resilience, um, you know, it 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 carries over to a self confidence, and it and it carries over to just a belief that that you can and will um, accomplish what you set out for. You know, that finishing that twenty two mile training run that that gave you you know more um, a belief in yourself and and what you can accomplish. And and you know, having there was probably a moment in that run where you thought, you know, well, I could stop. I could walk, I could slow down, you know, I, I could run less or something like that, but you decided not to. And so that, that grew, um, you know, for me, it, it, there's all kinds of areas of life. I think, you know, I think about, let's say relationships, you know, if, if you want to have a, 
a deep and fulfilling, you know, relationship, whether it's a, a marriage or with your, your siblings, or your parents or whatever, those are things that, that we have to, to work at. Um, you know, nothing is perfect. And those things take a lot of effort over time. Um, for me, raising kids, you know, my, my kids right now are two and four years old. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky that I've been able to set up my life in a way that I can spend a lot of time with them each day and, and my wife gets to as well. Um, but that, you know, taking care of two little kids, that takes way more energy than going to work or, you know, <laughs> going out and training or, or something like that. So there's many moments, you know, where the kids are tired or, you know, you, you have to change diapers in the middle of the night or, you know, you're, you know, your kid gets sick and, you know, you had these, you know, this work and stuff planned and, and, you, and you have to juggle that around. So I think um, the idea of, of relying on your mental training um, to go back to those um is, uh, is, is huge. Um, and then I would say, you know, kind of sort of the furthest extreme is, is when, you know, really challenging things happen in life. And, you know, one of the examples I talk about in my book is, is, um, my mom's health. Uh, when she was a, a young kid, or excuse me, when I was a young kid, um, she had a liver disease and, and eventually had to have a, a liver transplant and later on had some other complications and stuff like that. And now, she's in her sixties and, and she's doing well and at times still has, you know, little things that, that pop up, but seeing, you know, that to me is, is, you know, th those kind of things that, that people are forced to face that, that they don't have the choice about, you know, that's where going through some mental training really by choice, you know, something like running compared to, you know, a big health issue, you know, it's, it's, it's very small. We do that by choice, but doing those activities by choice to build that, resilience and, and mental toughness it's something that can carry over when you know when really challenging things do happen oh yeah and that definitely gives us all something to think about in you know things you do in your running those moments you push yourself they are making you mentally stronger and uh yeah you talked about the they uh they train you for those challenges you did did not choose they train you how to prepare for those and that's kind of i found that really really uh interesting to think about and um, related to mental toughness, thinking about that, um, why, why do you think we neglect it so much? I mean, you, we hear time and time again that running is 90% mental, yet we spend so much time training our bodies. And I mean, you talked about it in the book, but generally we, we really neglect mental training and preparing for those moments because, you know, when you're in a workout at the end of it, you may be tired and you may be pushing through mentally, but overall, we really don't do too much within our lives to mentally prepare ourselves for that moment. Is there any reason you think why that is or why you decided to focus on it? Um, that's a great question, you know, and I think my <laughs> experience with this probably differs a little bit because as, as I talked about in the book, you know, I, when I was a little kid, I was out there, you know, mountain biking with my dad, you mm -hmm. know, and in the hills here in, in Colorado. And, you know, my dad was saying like things like, this is all good mental training, you know, this is good mental training, but this is good mental training. And we'd be out there, you know, snowshoeing out in a, in, in a blizzard, you know, and I was in middle school and high school. And like, you know, it, it, in some ways it wasn't fun at all, you know, cause it's, you know, cold and, and miserable and that kind of stuff. But, you know, there, there was a certain being able to do that um, with my dad and, and know that it was making me stronger as a person. You know, I really valued that from, from early on, you know, I think possibly one application to, to running is, you know, 
anything you do in life, it's hard to simultaneously work on or focus on two different things at once. You know, let's say multitasking. You know, all the recent research about multitasking says, you know, basically it's a waste of time. If you're trying to do two things at once, you, you know, you're you're not really doing them both to your full measure. And and I think, you know, maybe with with running, oftentimes we put so much energy and planning into the physical side of running which is very important. You know, there's so many different things, you know, whether it's leg speed or lactate threshold or, or, you know, in, in endurance or, you know, recovery from injuries. There, there's all these bits and pieces to focus on that it's hard to, um, you know, intentionally make time for specific mental training. Um, and I think, you know, that, that for me is, it's something I grew up with and it's something I think about a lot, you know, like the, the last two days here in Colorado, you know, it's, it's been, really cold and really icy and the, and the trails are like in terrible condition so that you could, you know, they're, they're like so icy and, and, um, technical, you can barely run on them. You know, my pace is very, very slow. And from a physiological standpoint, there probably wasn't a whole lot of benefit to running on those conditions. And, and probably if I ran inside, you know, on a, on a treadmill, I know I would have been going faster and that may have had a little bit more of a, of a, you know, musculoskeletal benefit. But, you know, I intentionally made the choice of, well, you know, this is pretty good mental training to, to go out and do this. And, and I think for, you know, if I was preparing to run a, t- a 10K on the track, the treadmill may have been a better choice. But since I'm preparing to, you know, do this next ultra run that's 68 miles and, and has a ton of vertical in it, you know, probably it's it may be a little bit better to, to just have that extra little bit of, of resilience or, you know, be able to, you know, yesterday I was doing some ski mountaineering training and, and I was, you know, up at Loveland Pass at 12,000 feet and I was doing laps up and down it and, and I planned on four laps and on the third one as I was going up, I was just freezing. You know, I could feel the side of my face, the, the wind was hitting, it was just starting to freeze and, and I thought maybe I shouldn't do another one and I, I made it to the top and I got in the little, you know, ski lift hut up there and kind of gained my composure and I said, you know, if I do another lap, like that's that's really good mental training. And I got my extra gear out and I covered up my face and, and I did it again. And I'm really proud that I did it. You know, this is, you know, this, it's, a, it's, there's never an end point, you know? I mean, I think, uh, like running or writing a book or doing a painting or writing a song, you know, there's never a, a defined end point to these things. And it's something that you always have to keep working on. Yeah, definitely. And I, I really, like I said, I, I, I've embr- been embracing the good mental training, like thinking that to myself for other things as well. You know, like you said, it doesn't have to be just, uh, you know, struggling in a run. It can be anything, like you said, the wind in your face or anything that you're going through that is putting you out of your comfort zone. We live such a, you know, cushy lifestyle right now that it, it does feel especially uncomfortable when we get out of our comfort zone. But like you said, it's, it's, it's good mental training. So yeah, there's you. so many moments in the day, you know, whether whether it's work or communications or relationships or whatever. There's so many moments in the day where you really have a choice of, you know, mm-hmm. basically do, you know, am I going to see this as a negative situation where I feel like a victim, or am I going to see it as this is something that that I can gain from? And yeah. you know, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm definitely not perfect, and you know, I wrote a book about this, and I, you know, I'm not like perfect about it, or I don't have it, you know, dialed every single time. It's it's something that I think. You know, everyone has to um, constantly be mindful of that, really. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, well, how about we switch and talk something about uh, the one of my other favorite mindsets, which was the one about being a wannabe. And I found that really interesting where you talked about um, key role models and how, you know, they don't ha- 
a key role model for anyone, especially runners, does not have to be, you know, an elite runner. It doesn't have to be Cara Goucher or Meb or someone famous. It can be, you know, your spouse, a friend, a coach. And I just wanted you to expand a little on that because I found that really interesting that with the the role models aspect. Yeah, I, um, you know, this, again, it, it connects to this psychology principle um, that, that they call goal contagion. And, you know, it's kind of the the idea that if you're, simultaneously striving for something with someone else that, that there's a synergy that, that really can make a difference. Um, and I think that's, uh, I think it's crucial to, to really specifically try to identify, um, people who, who you can hopefully emulate in, in one way or another, you know, you don't have to say, I want to be exactly like this person and everything they, they do. Um, but watching them and, and trying to learn from them, um, really can make a difference. And, and I think, um, you know, at some stages in life, it, it, it may be really natural, or maybe you're on a team where there's, you know, a clear person or something like that. I think for many times, the further we get into adulthood, um, it's harder to do. You know, there may not be an obvious person. For many of us, like, you know, the kind of the people we interact with most days, you know, it's the same handful of people who you, you see at work or see at home or, you know, whatever. Um, and, and so it can really take some work to, to figure out who those people are, are going to be. Um, so I've, I've really tried to, you know, if, if I'm, you know, maybe I'm reading a book by, by someone and I've decided I can, I can learn from them, really try to get in touch with them or, or talk to them or at least follow their work and continue to um, try to learn from it. And I, I think it, you know, it comes a lot from the idea of, of um, constantly learning and, and seeking forward growth, um, you know, rather than if you're, if you're, if you're trying to prove yourself, if you're in the fixed mindset, You'll see someone else's, especially someone who's close to you, it's a, a friend, a teammate, you know, uh, a, another runner, a competitor, you'll see their success and, it, and it, you know, it, jealousy is, is what comes up, you know, oh, oh man, I wish I had that or, you know, I'll be flipping through the, you know, trail running magazine and, oh man, that guy won a race again and, you know, I kind of an initial urge is, oh God, I wish like I, I should have had that or, you know, I, that's what I need to do or, or something like that. But then if I, if I flip the, the paradigm and, think of it as, you know, maybe this is someone I can learn from, you know, and maybe by following their work, maybe I'll get on Strava and look at, you know, Max King's training and, and try to learn from him. Or, you know, right now I'm, I've recently started working with um, Ian Sharman, who's a very accomplished ultra runner as, as a coach, you know, and I see that as here's someone I can learn from, you know, and this, is, this isn't this is someone who I have to, you know, be in awe of, of the, you know, success that he's had. And I'll say, oh, this is someone I can I can learn a lot from, um, you know, be able, be a wannabe, if you will. Um, I think there's a lot of value with it. Yeah, and you also talked about that in one of the other chapters. Um, I think it was the Have an Ego, Use It um, mm -hmm. chapter, which you talked about um, where we become obsessed with beating a particular time or person. And, you know, we can't, it's like we get it, fit, like you said, fixed in our head and we can't, we can't move on from that. And uh, I just wanted you to kind of, as I found this interesting, talk about uh, Josiah and how, you know, you got better once you had the strength and the courage to actually ask for his help. Um, so do you want to just explain a little bit about Josiah? Yeah, yeah, this is an interesting story. You know, the, um, Josiah Mitto is, um, he, he lives in Vail, you know, close to me here in, in Colorado, and um, he's a, a few years older than me and, and is best known for um, you know, all of his accolades in the Xterra triathlon. He's, he's, he's hands down the best U.S. Xterra guy, and he's come very close to winning the world championship. And 
Um, I, I think he might do it sometime soon because he, uh, he he works very hard and, he, and he's a good guy. But anyway, I I competed against him a, a lot, especially in snowshoe races in the winter time, and sometimes in some other multi-sport events and, and stuff like that. And for the first number of years where we were going head to head, you know, and over all these years, he he won most of the time. You know, the uh, um, I, I finished second to him many many times, and you know, for a long time, it, it was like, oh God, how how do I beat this guy? How can you know what? What is he? What is he doing? And and you know, many times, um, you know, kind of suffering, worrying about how to how to how to beat him. And I kind of realized at some point in time, like you know, maybe if I if I want to continue to improve myself, I I should just ask Josiah for help. You know, I should I should, as I say in the book, you know, there's times where you need to throw your ego out the window and ask for help. And here's one of my direct competitors, but I knew he was coaching athletes and i knew he had recently earned a you know a, a degree related to um exercise physiology type of stuff and so i i called him up you know and i was nervous there on the phone i felt like i was in middle school again or something and you know i said josiah would you think about coaching me and he, and he said yeah sure you know he's a, he's as i said a really nice guy and he was i think able to put his ego aside as well you know and say well you know here's someone who's my competitor but they can also be my friend and someone whose life i can impact in a positive way. And, um, so we, we really enjoyed working together, you know, and, and continued competing head to head at times, um, during that as well. Um, so I, you know, I, I learned a lot and had a, a real positive growth experience from it. Yeah. I love that you said that, you know, it, it was only when you had the courage to do that, that, you know, it really helped. And it showed something about both of you, not only for you being strong enough to ask him and find out more about him and want to be the best you can be and actually take all the necessarily necessary steps to do that whereas you know many of us would be too afraid to do that but it also shows a lot about him of you know what a great person he is that he was prepared to do that so it's it's very interesting and you also brought up uh brain brown um and i i love her like all her stuff i i really enjoyed listening to that and she's she's great and um so I think that's another chapter that people uh, listening will particularly enjoy. So I definitely would recommend the book um, for that area, you know, as well as all the others. But um, that is one area I really enjoyed. So do you want to, um, another thing that I found fascinating was um, when you talked about um, running being the only sport where we have direct control over our uh, extrin- extrinsic rewards. So can you kind of uh, expand on that just because I'm sure our, runners would love to hear maybe you know starting with internal versus external motivators yeah i think uh, when i saw that question i actually i went back and i found that part of the book and maybe um maybe i'll even read that i don't know about you but i love learning about the psychology of our sport there's so much to um, learn this and it really can reason, make the difference opinion, between running well running and continuing to struggle. So the Ultra Mindset really is a wonderful book. I truly enjoyed well, reading it and I would recommend it to anyone, especially runners. I am not an ultra runner, but I can apply rewards. all of the concepts where, to my training and life, and I think you will be able to too. What you as an I want to thank you for listening today, and if you have enjoyed listening, I would really appreciate it if you could go and leave us a review on iTunes. I've created a video to show you exactly how, which can be found at runnersconnect.net a favorable for review will help us towards our goal of being um, the number and, and one especially, running podcast you know, if, if thank you, you in if advance you have, have you know, a great any, week of running a regular sort of job or if, if you have kids you know as you get further into relationships and those kind of things 
um, for many people, having something that's sort of really their own um, can peter out. And, and, and I feel I'm, I'm really glad that, that over my, my life as, as, as a parent and professional, I've been able to you know, kind of hold on to, to something that really is mine and that's, that's important to me and that I can pursue um, wholeheartedly uh, really with a lot of enthusiasm. And that's something I, I recommend to, um, to people. You know, I, I, there, I actually had a whole chapter. It was called um, Having Kids is a Reason to Follow Your Dreams. And it's, it's my belief that, you know, one of the best things you can do as a parent is to pursue wholeheartedly your own dreams um, to, to set that example for your kids and to show them, um, you know, really how to, how to make the most of life and to, to do, um, do things in a big way. So if we go back to, you know, running in particular, um, I think it's just, it's something that, that you own, that you can pursue on your own terms, that, that there's always room for improvement. There's always things to learn. You know, there's, it's, it's something that can be done, on a daily basis and, and it has so many carryover benefits. You know, I think probably most people who are listening to this, you know, if, if, if they're regular runners can relate to the idea that running makes you feel a lot better, you know, it, 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 it helps ground you. It makes you more productive. It makes you more at ease and it decreases anxiety You know, all of those kind of things, um, I think are, are very important. And, uh, that's sort of what I was going for there. Yeah, and it's kind of makes me think of uh, where you, you know running is you you get out of it what you put in the the amount of time and effort and dedication you get out uh, you put in somewhere down the road it may not be immediately but it's it's going to pay off so it, it made me think of that which I I've always loved that aspect of running that you, what you put in is what you get out so that was that was great to read and yeah. um, talking about um, you said about how uh, you do it for the enjoyment you do it for you know your own personal self. Um, I wanted to just talk for a minute about um, internal versus external motivators. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought it was really interesting that you talked about how we don't need to be embarrassed to admit that we use external motivators, such as like, you know, sharing online or like needing that recognition, whereas sometimes that's given a bad rap, like you should, oh, how dare you be the kind of person that, you know, wants to do this just because you want to, you know, share it or tell others or get recognition. But I thought that was interesting. You talked about, you know, when you do start to break down and you can't, you need another motivator, you then look at those external motivators and you say to yourself, you know, how good am I going to feel? How awesome is it going to feel when I, everyone says great job or like you did it or whatever it may be. I, I just thought that was, that was great that you didn't kind of make it spin it into a negative perspective which a lot of people do nowadays yeah yeah that's that's a good question and it's something i've i've thought a lot about and um read a lot about there, there's a book called um succeed how we can reach our goals by um heidi grant halverson and it's uh it's it's a really good book and, and she goes into this idea or she goes into you know really kind of um some of the research behind this concept and you know, sort of the idea is that um, self-control, I think we can think of like a, a muscle, you know, that can be trained. You know, I talked about mental training, you know, self-control is a big piece of that and it, and it can be trained. Um, but also like a muscle, it, it, it tires out, um, you know, it can wane and ebb and flow um, at times. And so my view is that if you're going to do something that that's very challenging, um, which I think most big and important things really are challenging you know they they they, t they take a long time you know it requires consistent effort over time 
and those kind of things. Um, intrinsic motivation, you have to have it. That's that's absolutely essential. But I think if you're going to do something that's really hard, then then you got to use the extrinsic too. You know, basically, you need to harness all of the possible <laughs> motivation um, that you can, and and you know, and it could even shift you know let's say you're doing you know if you're going to run 100 miles you know maybe your intrinsic motivation gets you to mile 60 or something like that but after that you know then you're really digging deep and you're thinking you know for, for me a big extrinsic motivator is you know setting an example for my kids you know what, what can i tell my kids at the, at the end of this how can i show them that i've made it through or you know like you said um you know posting it online or being able to tell the story to someone or you know for for a sponsored athlete you know is this going to generate a, a bonus or a new sponsorship or you know the, all of those kind of things are, are extrinsic and um i think it's fine to to think about those you know i've had many times in in races where you know that extra you know whether it was prize money or sponsorship or or you know something like that got our team through and, and provided that um that impetus so um, I think it's I think it's fine to um, to you know think about those things as part of the picture, and then the other piece um, is that relying on extrinsic rewards at times can create a snowballing effect. So let's say you take the you know a high school kid taking the ACT test, they may not be intrinsically motivated. You know that this test it, it's not fun. You know you're not going to do it because it's fun. But the extrinsic motivator is that a high score will allow me to enter a certain college and pursue, you know, whatever pro- professional course that I'm seeking. So, you know, at times it's it's almost like the extrinsic uh, motivator can be a building block to something that snowballs to the intrinsic. So, you know, in other words, if if let's say we we have a, a runner who's going to do their first ever ten mile run and they want to, you know, they want to run ten miles and they want to post it on Facebook and get a whole bunch of likes. You know, they, they do it and they, and they got all those likes and, the, and then it, it enhances the intrinsic motivation. So now they're like, I, I really like this and, you know, I'm going to train for a whole marathon or, or something, you know. So it, it, it really, um, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting um, intermingling there. And, and I don't think that we should um, simply, you know, disregard extrinsic motivation as, as always being bad. No, definitely. And I love what you said there. I think it does often go back to intrinsic when you do have those extrinsic. And that's kind of why, like you said, a lot of people may say, oh, you know, 5K, that's the longest I'm ever going to run. And they've never run and they train and they work really hard and they they get there and they want to do it so they can hold that medal and say, like, this is my medal and share it online and say, you know, I'm a runner. But then they start to realize that the other rewards, the other great things that come from it and it kind of yeah like you said snowballs from there so i think that is that's a great point to bring up mm-hmm. um and then so why do you think we have such a hard time you know you you mentioned about how um those extrin- extrinsic rewards are um you know a lot of the time other people um giving us those affirmations but why do you think we have such a hard time in with our self-belief you talked about the importance of it and you realize it but a, a lot of us really struggle with um you know, having that belief in ourselves of where we could, where we could be. And I know myself, I tend to sometimes get stuck in, I'll never get back to where I was, I'll never get back to where I was. But it's more, um, I can, you know, other people can tell me that and I can say, oh, that's nice, you know, thank you. But um, why, why is it you think we have such a hard time ourselves believing that? Any thoughts? Yeah, that's a good question. And, um, you know, the, I, I think I write about this a couple times in the book about the, the power of just 
believing you can do it. That's it's it's so essential, and it and it, it sounds really simple, yet it's it's so challenging, um, you know. And that's uh, you know, schools try to get kids to believe in themselves, and it's not an easy thing to do, and it's not an easy thing to do, you know, whether you're a, a runner or a parent or a professional or. Um, you know, for, for me, I think one of the, the biggest things, um, I talk about this in, in chapter seven of the book, it's called, um, bad stories, good stories, the ones we tell ourselves make all the difference. And, um, you know, I think for, for me, that's been a huge piece of it is, um, being able to really look objectively, um, you know, almost as if from a distance at the, at the stories that we're telling ourselves and things that, that even we believe, you know, sometimes it's just kind of a minor story. Sometimes the, the story has become a belief <laughs> and, um, you know, being able to, um, to analyze those and, and work through them is, is huge. You know, that kind of the main one I talk about in the book is, uh, in 2013, um, you know, we had, we had a two year old son our, our daughter was on the way. I had, had a couple of races that didn't go quite as well as I, as I wanted to, um, I, I didn't have a, uh, you know, kind of a main sponsor really for the first time, you know, kind of in, in, in my adult life, um, you know, and these aren't like huge sponsorship contracts or anything. I've, I've been working other jobs and stuff, but making a little money with, with running. Um, but, but I didn't have that. And, you know, a variety of these things were getting me down and I kind of, you know, this overarching story was encroaching on me that, you know, maybe this should be the, the end of my racing career. You know, maybe I should sort of pack it up and just, you know, get a regular job that I probably won't care about as much, but it'll, you know, be more consistent and I'll go to work from nine to five and, you know, just, you know, do, do that. And, um, this story was really starting to pull me down. And, um, you know, I, I kind of, um, thankfully was, was able to read some books that I had seen in the past. Um, you know, one of them, uh, that I mentioned in the book is called the Wu way. It's by a guy named Jim Downton, who, um, was one of my professors at, um, uh, at CU Boulder years ago. And one of the things he talks about in that book is, is really the, the stories that, that we tell ourselves and how they can impact us. And, and really that they're just stories, you know, kind of the one I, I, I offer a sort of a, a process in the book of how you might be able to work through some of those stories. But I think the, you know, really the, the first one is, is recognize what the story is and sometimes just writing it down really helps you know I've, I've got this negative story in my head i write it down and sometimes just by looking at it it's like seriously you know you're really letting that get you down and sometimes that that helps but then the next step is really you know recognize it as what it is and it's just a story you know you really you have a choice in what kind of things you believe and don't believe and um you know that that's a story and if you want you can replace it with with a better one so um you know i think that's I think that's huge, you know, as, as you talked about, you know, battling back from injury or, you know, you, you had a bad race and you get, you didn't get the certain time you wanted or, you know, all, all of those kind of things. These are all pieces of, of what we go through. Um, and I think another piece of it, it that maybe you mentioned in your questions too, is, um, the, the role that failure plays as well. I feel like some, something I've been able to just appreciate more over the years is that failure is, is really in most cases is an essential step on the way to success. You know, people who, you know, we see the, the, <coughs> excuse me, the people who have, you know, won all these races or, or whatever, but they, they failed many times. There were many races they didn't win or they didn't have a good race or they had, you know, a downtime or, you know, things outside of running were, were getting them down. Um, and the, and those are, those are part of the, the process as we talked about before, kind of the ups and downs. 
Oh yeah, definitely. And I, I think I think that uh, segues well into um, what you talked about the four thirty a.m. rule and how we can use that on days we just don't feel like doing it. So I know a lot of people say to me, um, "Well, you know, it's it's easy for an elite athlete. You know, every." every day must be just fun for you and you just prance along and it's fun and it's easy but no everyone struggles and I think the moments that you do persevere through those are the things that make all the difference like you said it, it those failures are just a step towards your success and actually make it the victory even sweeter when you do get through it but can you explain a little bit about uh, about the 4:30 a.m rule yeah, basically the idea behind that is, you know, it's called the, the 4.30 a.m. rule. And, and the rule is that um, when, when you have no choice, anything is possible. So my definition of a, of a commitment is really when you, when you commit to something, then you give up the alternative choices. Um, you know, so if you, if you commit to a marriage, then you've given up the, you know, the other choices of, of, you know, dating other people or, you know, that's kind of a simple, um, simple one. You know, if you apply that to, you know, let's say doing a, you know, a hundred K trail run, if, if before the race, if you really deeply commit to finishing the race, then the option of not finishing the race or of quitting, in other words, is it's not an option anymore. And that makes it a lot easier. You know, if, 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 if quitting the race, is an option that you're going to be thinking about over time, um, you know, odds are that, that you'll probably quit because there's going to be many times where it's not very fun and, you know, things aren't going to be going as you hoped. Um, but by, you know, kind of in a simple way, just eliminating that choice, um, it makes things a lot easier. And, you know, kind of the 4.30 a.m. idea, um, you know, it's figurative in many ways. You could take it literally, as I do sometimes, of, you know, the alarm goes off at 4.30 a.m. and, no one feels like getting up and going running out in the dark, you know, especially in the winter when it's cold out. But if you've committed to it ahead of time, th then you don't have the choice. You don't have to worry about, oh, this sucks or, oh, I wish I could sleep longer. You know, you just, you get up and do it. And, and that's a, I think a small exercise that, um, you know, can help establish that, um, you know, over time and kind of build that, uh, build the fortitude to it. Oh, definitely, and it, it and it relates again to the the eighth mindset, which was about never quitting if you're doing something you really care about. And I think you know if you if you do care about something, you're going to make it happen. You're going to find a way to do it. And I think that that ties into that well. So, um, well, that's about all the questions I have for today. But I just had one more that I always ask the guests, um, which would be if you could give one word to describe what you would like to. Uh, accomplish, become, achieve this year, what would it be? And that's a good question. And I've <laughs> definitely thought a lot about that. You know, if I had to say, basically I've got two answers. If, if I had to say one single word, um, it's actually an acronym, so it's, it's not one word, <laughs> but the, the acronym is um, PERMA, P-E-R-M-A. And this okay. is a concept from the field of positive psychology. I recently read a book by um, this guy named Martin Seligman, called flourish and he um is sort of founded the, this field of positive psychology and his studies and one of the main things he talks about in this book are that um well-being really doesn't come from just one thing it's more of a balance of um sort of these these factors uh denoted by perma so the the factors that that he says um contribute most to well-being and i I think he's right on so far, at least in my thinking about it. He says the first one is positive emotion. 
Uh, e is for engagement. R is for relationships. M is for meaning. And A is for accomplishment. And for me, sort of one of the, the shifts that I've been considering over the last couple of years, um, you know, is I, I've realized that for much of my life, I think there um, was a, it, some of these things were out of balance. I think I was seeking accomplishment first, um, at times at the expense of some of these other characteristics. Um, and I'm realizing now, you know, that if I focus a little bit more on, um, you know, let's say relationships and meaningful things, um, that those in many ways will, um, lead to, to more accomplishment, um, kind of ironically. So, um, that would be the first one would, would be PERMA. Um, and then the, the second one, um, for, for me is, um, really working as a, as a family to, um, de- develop a, a household that's, um, full of love kind of is the, as a central focus. And that's, um, you know, really trying to set up our, um, lives so that, um, that's, that's the focus. And that, that's more important than, you know, having a certain income or, um, whatever, just re- really seeking that as the, as the key foundational goal. And then that can dictate, you know, how I'm spending time on a daily basis, what I'm doing with work, you know, what races I'm choosing, um, those kind of things. So yeah, that's wonderful. That's really nice. And I'd say with, with the perma piece that, you know, that relates to running and that Mm -hmm. the good thing is that can support training. It can support training goals. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that I came across that infrastructure because I think it's a, a, a neat thing to consider. Yeah, and I will put actually I'll put a link to all the books you talked about today at um, runnersconnect.net forward slash RC51. And um, I'll also put links to, uh, like I said, your book, your website, um, which is travismacy.com, um, your Twitter, um, and anything else we have talked about in the podcast today. So thank you, Travis, for your time. I've really enjoyed talking to you, and I'm sure our listeners will have learned a lot, and it was a, a great podcast. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. I've, I've enjoyed talking as well. And I also want the, the listeners to know that um, I, I really do enjoy interacting with people. I mean, the, I've spent most of my life as a, as a classroom teacher. And kind of the, the reason I wrote this book is I, I wanted to share these ideas with people and hopefully help them um, make the most of life. So if, if, you know, if anyone out there finds that this does help or, or doesn't help or you had a question or you know, something that should have been different or whatever. I'd love to, um, I'd love to hear from you and just, uh, interact with you, you know, whether it's email or just call me up or, or whatever. That's great. I'm sure they, I'm sure they will appreciate <coughs> that. And I'm sure you'll get quite a few emails. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so thank you very much. I don't know about you, but I love learning about the psychology of our sport. There is so much to learn and it really can make the difference between running well and continuing to struggle. The Ultra Mindset really is a wonderful book. I truly enjoyed reading it and I would recommend it to anyone, especially runners. I am not an ultra runner, but I could apply all of the concepts to my training and life and I think you will be able to too. I want to thank you for listening today and if you have enjoyed listening, I would really appreciate it if you could go and leave us a review on iTunes. I've created a video to show you exactly how, which can be found at runnersconnect.net forward slash rc51. A favourable review will help us towards our goal of being the number one running podcast. Thank you in advance. Have a great week of running!